Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Antonio Neves, and welcome to episode 31 of the Best Thing Podcast. And I hope you are seated. I hope you are buckled up because this is an episode that I truly did not want to end. I talked to Chip Conley, and if you're not familiar with Chip Conley, Chip Conley is an amazing entrepreneur, uh, author, and so many other things. I'll have a formal bio of him in the beginning of the episode. But in this episode, Chip talks about how he flatlined nine times at a hospital over the course of 90 minutes. You heard that correctly. Essentially, this guy died nine times over the course of 90 minutes. And of course, he's still alive to talk about it. So we're going to dig into what that was like, what he experienced during that. And it is so compelling. It is just so real that I know you're going to love it. Before we get to it, hey, listen, I have a, a new project that I just recently completed. Uh, I created the Stop Living on Autopilot mini course. So if you right now are rethinking everything, I don't know, maybe because of a pandemic as it relates to your career and your life. If you're one of those many people I know that are super successful on paper, everything looks great, but you feel a little bit stuck. Maybe you're in a little bit of a funk or a rut. I know what that's like. This free, yes, free mini course is going to be your friend. It's an amazing guide. There are video lessons, etc. So if you want to stop living on autopilot mini course, just go to the show notes, uh, just open up your app and click on it and sign up for free. And there you go. Okay. Without further ado, let's get to episode 31 of the best thing with Chip Conley. Welcome to the best thing podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever to happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker, author, and coach. And each week, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest I first met about 10 years ago in San Francisco, when I interviewed him for a business show I was hosting that was produced by NBC, and I'm so happy to have him on. Chip Conley is a New York Times bestselling author and the hospitality maverick who helped Airbnb's founders turn their fast-growing tech startup into a global hospitality brand. In his book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, Chip shares his unexpected journey at midlife and is experience of being both a mentor and intern in his 50s. Chip is the founder of the Modern Elder Academy, where a new roadmap for midlife is offered at a beautiful oceanfront campus in Baja, California, Sur, Mexico. Chip Conley, welcome to The Best Thing. Oh, Antonio, it's great to reconnect. So good to reconnect, and I can't wait to get down to Mexico when things change. I have a, an untraditional first question for you. Of course, I still remember Chip reading Peak before we ever mm -hmm. met, and I was blown away by it. And I remember just looking at the book. I felt like you were gazing at me because your photo was on the cover. And then I think about different versions of your other book, uh, Emotional Equations, where there was a version also with your face on the cover, but another one where your face wasn't on it. 
But what I find what jumped out to me about your current book, Wisdom at Work, is your face is not on the cover. Tell me about that decision. Well, it, of course, it, ultimately, it's the publisher's decision. They just realized I was getting uglier and uglier. <laughs> I was aging. And, and they, they, it's, a, it's a form of ageism, I guess. No, actually, I think what it was, I mean, what's interesting is our process of moving from younger life to older life is the process of moving from a primary operating system that's your ego to a primary operating system that's your soul. And so I didn't really care as much that my face wasn't going to be on the cover. Um, I don't like the cover of the book, so I, I wish it was a different cover because I don't think it's a great cover. But I, but what I will say is that, um, you know, Penguin's, my, you know, my uh, publisher, yeah, someone you know well, uh, Pe- Penguin Random House, and they, um, they've done a great job of getting the book out there. So I, I can't complain. Awesome. Uh, before we get to the question about the best thing, I wanted to ask you because, of course, when I interviewed you, uh, you were CEO and you're founder of Joie de Vivre Hospitality. Uh, mm-hmm. My French isn't great. But I love about this whole concept of chapters that we have in life. And so preparing for this, of course, I have a couple of, of um, bios for you at the short version and the longer version. What I find amazing sometimes is people progress in their life and in their career. Sometimes certain things go away. So for example, I used to always let people know that I worked for NBC and PBS and BET. I used to be a correspondent in TV, but I found as I've gotten older, I no longer identify with that. And they, they someone else will mention it, but I don't mention it as much. So even seeing Joie de Vivre not in one of your bios, is that something that is uh, past tense in a way for you? That's a really interesting question. I, I like I like your line of questioning here. I actually think life is about costume changes. I, I was born on Halloween. So, um, you know, costume changes basically means that you're, you're changing your identity over time. And I'm not talking about major changes like changing gender or anything like that necessarily, although that, that happens in the world for sure. But I'm really more talking about the, the, the pair of clothes we wear, figuratively speaking, based upon the definition of how our role is in the world. I mean, it could be being a father or a mother. It could be, in my case, being CEO of a company for 24 years that I founded. Um, Joie de Vivre still means a lot to me in terms of my process of learning leadership. You know, that was my laboratory from age 26 to 50. Uh, and so it's almost 10 years later now since I sold it and it's now part of Hyatt. I'm somebody who tends to focus on my best years are ahead of me as opposed to my best years behind me. And um, because of that, I think that it, I don't I don't get too wedded to my past awards or achievements or accomplishments, I believe that they show up in how I show up. Um, and I'm less enamored with other people's achievements. And I'm more, it's sort of moving from productivity to presence. You can tell if someone's got presence because they're there with you. They're not distracted. The opposite of presence is absence. <laughs> and often in a world full of tech tools, we we see a lot of absence. Um, but when someone's present, you know they're there with all their wisdom. And that's the kind of person I, I try to show up as today. Yeah, and I love that you believe that the best thing is ahead of you instead of behind you. In fact, the, the chapter number one in my book is called The Best Thing, and it operates under that that ethos. You mentioned briefly costume changes and something that stood out to me in your book, um, Wisdom at Work. You talked about how you mentored junior managers who were in the in the career cul-de-sac, as you described it. Mm-hmm. What, for our listeners who don't maybe don't know the career cul-de-sac is, what is that? 
Well, if you've ever been, first of all, it means you're in the suburbs. Ah, (laughs) I'm sorry, but no, yeah, the suburbs is full of cul-de-sacs. Cul-de-sacs are basically a little street, sort of inbred street where everybody sort of faces each other and there's no way to get out of it unless you turn around and go the opposite direction that you came in. And and so a career cul-de-sac means you're stuck. And there are a lot of people in midlife in their 30s and 40s and 50s who feel very stuck. And so at, at Airbnb, um, I mentored about 100 people during my four years of full-time and now three and a half years as a, just an advisor to the founders. And often that's where they were. They were stuck. And it wasn't because the company was doing anything wrong. It often was because their thinking was stuck. And they needed to shift their thinking. And I, I'm a big believer in Carol Dweck's work around mindset. And so they needed to move from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, and which is really moving from proving yourself to improving yourself and being willing to frankly look like an idiot. Because when you move toward that mindset of trying to improve yourself, you're not focused on winning, you're focused on learning. And um, so this is part of what I've learned and part of what I've uh brought to the table with this modern elder academy we've created here in Baja. So uh, yeah. yeah. Let's briefly talk about the modern elder academy, but what I got to say about your book Wisdom at Work, which I'm going to link to in the show notes for our listeners is I appreciate Chip how accessible it is because I've reached that point in my life in my early 40s where I can resonate even though you're older than me, I can resonate with everything you say in the book and it feels extremely accessible. I feel like the first time I came across a book that was using a similar theme, if you will, would be Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward. Oh, I love which, that. Oh, my which, God. Look at you. I'm impressed. An, I don't know how I found that book, how I found out about him, but it blew me away. Yeah. And though I love that book, and your book, it just it talked to me. It, it was accessible. It, it was easy, an easier download for me. Well, it's also, yeah, Richard Rohr is a, a Christian mystic and, and, and a really interesting guy, very accessible, but he's not talking about the business world uh, so much. And and I am. and. Yeah, Richard Rohr is one of my favorite people to quote. So I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, I got the journal for that book and it's amazing. For folks, just briefly, the Modern Elder Academy. Yes. Who is it for and who comes there? So the premise came from the fact that Joe Gebbia at Airbnb started calling me uh, Airbnb's modern elder. I was twice the age of the average employee in the company. I was Brian Chesky's uh, in-house mentor uh, while also running a number of parts of the company. And when I decided to write my book, Wisdom at Work and Making of a Modern Elder, I was down here in Baja. I had a home on the beach. And I just went for a run one day and I came back thinking, why is it that we don't have schools and tools for people in midlife? Uh, and I initially defined midlife as 45 to 65. I now define it as 35 to 75. It's a marathon. And we don't really have pit stops for people to come and like learn about how to repurpose themselves in midlife. And so I um, decided to create the Modern Elder Academy, also known as MEA. Uh, the world's first midlife wisdom school. And the purpose is to help people to understand how to shift their mindset around aging. Because how how old do you think you're going to live to? I pray I get to the 90s. Let's say you get to 95, okay? Mm -hmm. If you're 43 now, which I'm sorry, I just gave it away, but you said- It's okay, America. It's okay, America. Yeah. (laughs) So you have 25 years of adulthood behind you. If you live till you're 95 um, and you're 43 now, wow, you're less than, you're like 32% of the way through your adult life if you start counting at age 18. Now, this is, okay, just do the math here. 
18 to 95 is a 77 years and you have 25 of those 77 years behind you. So what I'm saying to you, Antonio, and most people don't do this math is like, wow, I am not even a third of the way through my adult life. And yet you see people in their 50s or sometimes even their, their 40s hang it up and say, you know what, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to try something new. So I'm learning how to surf. I'm learning Spanish. I'm in my late 50s. And maybe I'm an idiot for doing it. But it's, it's that growth mindset that helps us to stay curious. And curiosity is the elixir of life. Yeah, I think it's beautiful that you're doing it. I mean, I love that. I think you mentioned in the book that you could have retired like at the age 52 if you wanted to, and you chose not to do that. You chose to keep growing, expanding. And I can tell you from my audience, but also they're going to love your book because I can't tell you how many men and women on paper, everything looks right. They checked off the boxes that you know all too well, yet they are stuck, yet they've done everything society mom, dad told them to. So I think you're going to have a, a continue to have a lot more visitors down there. But let's shift to this question of the best thing. I ask people, what's one of the quote unquote best things to happen to you that wouldn't necessarily show up on a resume, a bio, or, or even come up in, in casual conversation that has had a profound impact on your life? Um, so this is going to be a crazy answer, but I died. At age 47, I had a flatline experience. Um, so I was still the CEO of Joie de Vivre. We were going into the Great Recession. Um, I went to Gavin Newsom, who was the mayor of San Francisco at that time, now the governor of California, my first mentee. I was his mentor, still am. Um, I, was, I went to his bachelor party uh, at AT&T Ballpark, uh, playing baseball at night with the lights on with just 20 of us in the stadium by ourselves. It was amazing. And I broke my ankle playing, or sliding into third base. I also got a bacterial infection in my leg that I didn't know at the time because I had a cut on my leg and I got fertilizer in my leg. Long story short is I was I, – I was in St. Louis and I was put on an antibiotic and I went to St. Louis soon after I, I was put on the antibiotic and I shouldn't, I should have been, I was on crutches. I was on, I had a septic leg. I was an, on an antibiotic and I was giving a speech and I should have just been at home with the covers over my head. And at the end of this, at the end of the speech, um, I had an allergic reaction to the antibiotic and I died and I was brought back to life over the next, you know, nine different times over the next, uh, 90 minutes. Um, and that night I read, I was reading um, um, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl's famous book about being in a concentration camp. And I realized that I was, uh, I was in my own concentration camp, concentration camp of my mind, because I felt like I could not leave the company I'd started. And that was 22 years after I'd started it. And I was ready to leave. And um, so over the course of the next two years, I, why this was the best experience, best thing in my life was because it forced me to shift and take off that identity that I'd spent 22 years, most of my adult life being used to and all of the ego attached to that and saying, you know, what? in the worst of times, in the depth of the great recession, where I'm going to take a bath, if I sell the company now, um, I should do this because uh, I, I want to look forward to what I'm going to do next. And I, and this used to be a calling and now it's just a job. Um, so that led me to selling the company. It's now a Hyatt company. Uh, Joie de Vivre is uh, part of the Hyatt chain. And it opened me up such that I got tapped on the shoulder by the three founders of, of um, Airbnb. And if you've ever watched the movie the, the Intern with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway, he, De Niro famously says in the movie, musicians don't retire. They quit when no, there's no more music left inside of them. So I still had music to, to offer the world. But it wasn't at Joie de Vivre anymore. 
And if I had not left Joie de Vivre, this uh, Airbnb experience would never have come along because you know they're not going to go tap me on the shoulder as the CEO and founder of my own company and say, hey, come join us. And I would never have learned what it meant to be a modern elder, which led me to creating the Modern Elder Academy and writing this book. So, you know, <laughs> dying's not the worst thing that could happen to you. <laughs> wow. So many, a couple of questions unpacked from that. One, you mentioned being your, your mind, being your own concentration camp and being forced to shift. Prior to asking about both of those, I just, I'm just curious, Chip, as I am sure the listeners are, were there any moments when you flatlined? Do you remember anything of that? I People do. always talk about seeing light and different <clears throat> things. Yeah, I remember it very well. So I went, I went flatlined nine times. And so I came back nine times, I guess. Um, uh, and each time I would say to the nurse or the paramedic or whomever was with me, here's what I just saw. And it was the same thing over and over again. <clears throat> I'll be brief. It was me in a mountain chalet, which is interesting because I like the beach more than the mountains. And there's a huge skylight and there's, there's sun coming in the skylight and I'm sort of floating in the room. There's no one there. And it's a beautiful, it's just the most beautiful view uh, from the chalet. And the, the light's coming in and it's actually uh, creating rainbows, kaleidoscope rainbows on the wall. So it's actually quite beautiful, colorful. And there's this beautiful um, wood floor and this frangipani, like a tropically scented uh, oil on the floor that's actually starting to go down a staircase. And if you remember the, the TV commercial for Heinz 57 ketchup, it's like anticipation, anticipation, you know, the Carly Simon song or whoever sang that, sang that song. So this oil was going so slow. It was like everything was moving slow. So what I took from that was that beauty is there. It's right there in front of me. It, you can find beauty in your life. You just have to slow down to see it. Um, and it actually helped me to see that nature in many ways is my cathedral for experiencing spirituality. And um, I, what I would say moving forward is like beauty, aesthetics, feeling at one with everything. That's what exactly how I felt in, in that moment. I felt the observer, but I felt at one with the oil, um, with the trees outside, with the sun. And um, so that helped me get to a place where I realized that I'd spent my life in the attain mode and it was time for me to be spend more of my time in the attune mode and attain and attune. And when you're in the attain mode, you tend to have to um, uh, atone later because <laughs> you, you have sharp elbows in your attainment mode. But when you're in the attunement mode, you're at one. So attain leads to atone. Attune leads to at one. And that at one experience I had really came from my experience of being on the other side. Wow. I mean, that's profound. And I could talk to you about that all day. But for that listener, you said it forced you to shift. I think a lot of people out there right now are kind of like in many ways, Chip, but like a can of soda that's being shaken nonstop. And at some point, it's going to explode. And typically, when we have these explosions, if we don't let our art out, if we don't make shifts, et cetera, typically it explodes at the wrong time when you're wearing all white, just the wrong day. You don't want it to happen. So we're talking about a life altering event. Do you believe uh, in your experience that it's possible for someone to make a, a seismic shift as you did without that you know, life-altering event that you experienced? Yeah, of course. Um, and I've made many others in my life when I didn't have to die. So I, <laughs> I know it's not a prerequisite for sure. But I think what it is, is you know, it, it's the sense that it is time. And we, are, we as, as humans, can be you know, natural procrastinators. 
And, um, and sometimes it takes getting laid off or, or having someone divorce you um, or getting a health um, diagnosis that actually wakes you up to feeling like I have, I have to make the change now. Um, also recognize that there's a difference between change and transition. Transition is a more serious uh, uh, shift in your life. You can change jobs but be just as miserable. You can change husbands or wives and be just as miserable. And you can change all kinds of things. You can change your clothes in terms of identity but not transition what's going on inside. Transition is the process of transforming yourself. And I'm a big believer in Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey, and Arnold Van Jennep's Rites of Passage work. Uh, the caterpillar to butterfly story of being three stages. And often there's the process of transition is you have to actually be willing to let go of the past. You have to be willing to go into the dark chrysalis where it's gooey in that cocoon of that caterpillar. And then on the other side, you have to believe that a, a butterfly is going to be popping out. And that process of that three-step journey is the process we teach down here at the Modern Elder Academy. And frankly, it's the process of people who are willing to make transition. I can't wait. You just sold me already. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I can't wait to come down. This will be my last question for you. And, and I didn't anticipate asking this question, Chip, but something's telling me to ask it of you. You know, you started that company back when you are 26 years old. Yep. Uh, and you built it into something amazing. I'm curious... That if you had to tap back into that 26-year-old, how much would he recognize who you are today? Would he be surprised or he'd say, not, not, yeah, I can see it, or would he be surprised? He'd be surprised in certain ways, but I think the thing that he wouldn't be surprised at, and it's a, a perfect question. You're, you're good at this, Antonio. You've had some experience. Um, you're asking a question that allows me to bring up a, a tool that has helped me for the last almost 34 years. I'm almost 60 now. And that is the following. Starting at age 26, when I started that boutique hotel company, what I learned is I didn't know, I didn't know squat about what I was doing. And so I realized I needed to get wise very quickly. And so I took a journal that someone had given me and I wrote on the front of it, my wisdom book. And at age 26, when you don't think you have a whole lot of wisdom, I wrote, I had my wisdom book and every weekend or Friday afternoon or Saturday or Sunday, I would take 30 minutes and metabolize what I'd learned that week and try to actually make sense of lessons and, and, and make some meaning of what that experience had been like. Often the biggest lessons were when I was the biggest idiot and I did something completely wrong. And so it was that process of each weekend making a list of three, four, six, ten different bullet points. It's not a journal. It's not a diary. It's actually what I learned. So for example, um, I'm running a meeting and I'm trying to get my senior leadership team to buy into an idea I have, but I've not socialized it with the three people in that meeting who are always the negative people. And what I should have done before is had one-on-ones with each one of them to just sort of say, hey, this is an idea I have. Let's talk it over rather than having them be the negatives in the meeting. So I learned that at maybe age 28 or 29, but that served me for a long time. And actually when I went through the Great Recession, I went back to my dot-com bust 9-11 <laughs> wisdom books to sort of say, what did I learn during that downturn? So I would just finish our conversation by saying anybody at any age can cultivate and harvest their wisdom. And so I think the 26-year-old would say, Chip, you're still doing it. 
That's beautiful. I'm going to start my own wisdom book this week to get down those bullet points of what I've learned. Chip, I can't thank you much. You're someone, someone for the longest time since I met even prior to meeting that I've admired. I love watching your journey. I can't wait to see you in person you. in Mexico. For the listeners, all of Chip's books where you can find him will be listed in the show notes. Once again, Chip, I appreciate you making time. Yeah. Great to see you, Antonio. Thanks. For, thank, congrats being a dad as well. It's nice, it's nice to see a happy father. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 